0: Let's dive into this today. Um, Let's pray and we'll get to it. Father, we love you. Thank you for what you're doing in One Chapel. Thank you for what you're doing in Austin. Thank you for everything that you have planned. Today we surrender to your will, your way, and your agenda because we wanna go and do everything that you've called us to do in our lifetime. And we really mean that. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today and help us to do what you want us to do. Make it plain to us. Sensitize us to your voice once again and teach us from your scriptures. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Uh, You know, I I grew up in church. Uh, My dad is a pastor. He's sitting right over here. He did communion today. And <clears throat> I grew up in the church. I'm one of those guys who we say was born on Saturday and in church on Sunday. I grew up on the front row. I, I was always in church. All my young memories are in, in church And I'm really thankful for that great heritage. I'm grateful for that time. I I never dealt with a whole lot of rebellion or a whole lot of issues or a lot of really difficult things. So I certainly went through lots of struggles, but I never really had major crises of faith that I had to go to. Jesus was always a real central figure for me, always growing up. I believed in him, I wanted to follow him, I wanted to serve him every day. And I'm thankful for that heritage. That's a blessing to me and a blessing to my family today. And I remember being a little boy, and I had a little friend in our neighborhood that I had met, his name was Brooks. Now, Brooks, he had a dog, and we had a dog, and it can find out we had dogs that were brother and sister, apparently, which, I don't know why that's important, but somehow it meant that I got to know Brooks through that relationship. And so we were just young boys together, and so I'd go over to his house, he'd play, he'd come over and play, and um, they were two little uh, long-haired chihuahuas that we had. Well, it was either that, or they were... Two really big sewer rats. I'm not exactly sure which one it was, but, but we loved that little dog. Mine was named Fifi. (coughs) I'm so sorry for that. So mine was named Fifi, and uh, and so Brooks and I became friends. And I remember uh, one day being at home, and I was getting ready. I was thinking about going over to Brooks' house to play. We're gonna ride bikes. We're gonna work on bikes in the garage and go ride and. And I was thinking about Brooks, and I was wondering if Brooks knew Jesus. And I, I was thinking about it. I was praying about him, and I thought, "Well, I gotta do. So- I gotta tell him. I have to do something. I gotta tell him." And the very thought of it made me a little nervous. I thought, "Oh, I don't, I don't know how to say it. I don't know what to say. I'm not sure what. How's he gonna respond?" But I prayed about it, and I knew I gotta say something about Jesus to my friend Brooks. So I got up and I prayed and I was ready and I was ready to go over to the house so I walked over to his house across the street and I walked into his garage and I remember him sitting there and he was working on his bike and I walked in and this was my moment. I thought, this is it. I was born for such a time as this. Okay, I didn't really say that to myself but I was ready to talk to Brooks about Jesus. Not sure exactly what I was gonna say but I approached him boldly. I took my stance and I said, Brooks, do you know about Jesus? And Brooks looked up and said, yeah. And I said, oh, okay, good. And that was about it. We never had another conversation about it since then. And I felt a little bit discouraged and a little disheartened as a young man. I didn't know what to do. And frankly, it can be a little challenging when you're presented with that idea. It was just after the first service that my dad, in fact, came to me and told me one of his first stories. He was a young pastor, right? You're a young man of 18, and he was in an area in a neighborhood, and he was trying to figure out, you know, uh, what he was doing. He was going to—he was trying to find opportunities for ministry, and he was driving his car around, and he happened upon a young junior high boy, <laughs> which I just, he didn't know the boy, apparently, but the kid was walking through the neighborhood, and so I think you offered him a ride, isn't that right? So my dad offers him a ride, okay, mistake number one right there, (laughs) but he offers this young junior high boy a ride, and my dad's 18 years old, says, hey, come on and, and get in the car, let me take you where you're gonna go. And so the kid gets in the car and they start driving, and my dad is looking for opportunities to minister, to share the gospel. So he is, his motives are pure, his heart is right, and he's thinking, what, what, what do I say? Uh, how do I start this, how do I start this conversation with this kid? And so I believe the words that he chose in this particular moment to start this conversation were something like this, are you ready to die? <laughs> and to which, of course, the junior high boy says, oh, wh- what? And my dad had tracks available in the car that he wanted to present to the kid. And so my dad starts to reach over for the glove box. Yeah. <laughs> So this kid is absolutely freaking out, and I don't think that story actually went very well for the rest of it. I think he pulled over and let him out, and the kid probably ran away screaming, and the police were looking for my dad for the next several months. But it's difficult sometimes, and not all of us know exactly what to do. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do something just a little bit different. In the next in a, in a moment or two, I'm gonna ask you to turn to the person on your right or your left. In just a moment or two. I'm gonna ask you to turn to the person on your right or to your left, and I want you to look them in the eye. And now I'm gonna take two or three minutes, and I want you to share the gospel with them. Alright? So so okay, so think about it for just a second. Think about it for just a second. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm not gonna have you do that. Now, there's a variety there's a variety of things that just happened in this room when I did that. One, there were some guests who were here for the first time who said, Well, we're never coming back to this church again. I promise you that. Some of you some of your husbands looked over and said, I told you we shouldn't go there. I wanted to go to the other place. You had to come here. Others of you who've been around the church for a while and a little unsure of what you should say thought, "Woo! look at that, well, I gotta go use the restroom for the next five minutes and then I'll come right back and enjoy the rest of the service. Others of you thought, yeah, great, finally, I've been sitting by this guy for the past three months and I need to talk to him. Some of you were insanely zealous and anxious And ready for that moment. And some of you, perhaps, even too much so, that you were reckless. Who knows? But the thing is, all across this room, everybody had a different experience. We're in this series called Conversations, where we're getting ready to, in the next month or two, enter into a whole series of conversations about exploring God. And the goal of this thing, this campaign that really the city of Austin is doing together is that we would be able to, to be trained, to be able to have conversations about God, have spiritual conversations with other people in our city. I'm very excited about this. There's something close to 300 churches, I think, that are involved in this to talk about Uh, some of the seven biggest questions and most frequently asked questions and try to deal with those and actually have a conversation for once rather than when the idea comes up we get firmly entrenched in our position and our voices start to raise and we start to proclaim the truth and we have that instead of just sitting and listening to what somebody else might have to say about what they believe so we can actually develop a relationship and converse together, realizing that's actually a good thing. Does that make sense to you? So I'm very excited about this. <clears throat> um, and today, uh, Ross and I were talking this past week, and we thought, you know, one of the things, one of the things that we haven't necessarily talked about yet We've talked about having conversations, we've opened that door, but one of the things we haven't necessarily talked about is what happens when that conversation turns and actually starts to focus in on Jesus and the gospel? And what happens more so when you see the opportunity and you wanna have the guts to take that conversation and to focus in on Jesus? And you see the opportunity to present to them. Some of us just aren't sure exactly of what we should say. We're not sure of where we should go. So today, rather than actually just preaching a message or sermonizing, I'd like to kind of take a little bit more, let's call it a role of maybe like a a little more of a coach and more of a primer today on talking about the gospel. Now, I know what's happening all over the room. Uh, some of you are saying, oh, great, thank God. Others of you are saying, oh, man, I got up and came to church for this. I know all of this. Well, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. But here's a couple things about that. Number one, would you just ride this with us for the next few moments and realize that what I believe is as we proclaim the word of God, regardless of how much we believe we know, it never returns to us void. And so I, I want to make sure that we, we take the time to just listen together as a family and, and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us once again. So this will be just a little bit of a primer, and for sure it won't be, be uh, in-depth, it won't be everything that you need to know, but I want to try to be helpful as we go into this because not everybody, what you have to realize is not everybody is on the same page. So, what happened to you when you thought of having to share the gospel with someone? Just ask yourself the question where did I go? What did I think? What happened to me? Were you nervous? Were you scared? Were you excited? Were you confused? What happened to you? Because I want to be very clear about something. At the end of the day, as we have these spiritual conversations in our city, it's not just about having conversations. Make no mistake, everybody, there are lost and hurting and dying people in our city, and they need the one answer that you have. His name is Jesus. So at the end of the day, our hope and our prayer that those conversations end up, end up eventually, no matter how long they may take, they end up eventually in a life surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see happen. So what happens if and when it does go that way? You know, I I uh <clears throat> I heard a story as I was studying about this this past week. I was reminded of a story about D. L. Moody, so you know who that is. He's a great preacher, and you could call him a revivalist, I suppose. And D. L. Moody, he would he had, you know, interesting um style and ways of preaching the gospel. And there was a uh, there was a woman who came to DL Moody one time as he was preaching, and she said to him, You know. I don't like your method. I don't like the way that you evangelize. And D.L. Moody said, you know, frankly, I don't really either. So tell me, how do you evangelize? And the woman said, oh, I don't. I just don't do it. And D.L. Moody said, oh, well, in that case, I like my way of doing it better than I like your way of not doing it. And At the end of the day, here's the thing that I want you to remember. You may not feel like you may feel like I don't know how to do I don't have a clue of how to do this. And that is okay. But what we're tempted to do is we're tempted to go straight to methods to help us and try to pack it into a certain idea so that we can get this thing across to somebody and focus on a certain method, and that's challenging. That can be problematic. Through the years, there have been great methods that have been presented to us. One of those it would be uh, the Roman's Road. Some of you are familiar with the Roman's Road. How many of you know the Roman's Road, and you've used that before? Raise your hands. Come on. Raise your hands. All right. uh, maybe not even half. Okay, so Romans Road is one of the major ways that, that I, as I was growing up, I, I learned about the gospel as one of the ways to tell a story. Let me give it to you briefly, just in part. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 is where it talks about how the wages of our sin, what we've earned is Death. But it goes on to say in Romans 6.23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you can't earn it, you can't deserve it. It's free, it's given to us through Jesus. And then Romans 10.9 talks about that people are saved by confessing with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they believe it. All right? That's kind of the, in short, parts of the Romans road. Lead you through the road of Romans. That was a great thing. Uh, another one that was very popular is the four spiritual laws. How many of you know the four spiritual laws? Okay, well, a little bit less. Um, Campus Crusade and Bill Bright, who I had the honor of sitting with in his living room as I was a younger man, I got the opportunity to sit with him and listen to him talk about the gospel and talk about souls and the need for us to be ready and to be prepared to share Jesus. And I'd say it was one of the defining moments of my life to listen to this hero of the faith talk about it. But the the four spiritual laws are essentially, we'll do this quickly, this, that uh, God loves you, he's got a wonderful plan for your life, but man is sinful and separated from God, so he can't know and experience God's plans and love. Uh, Third, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin, and through him is the way that you can know God and know his love. And so, four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then you can know that plan. You can know that love. And you can remove yourself, the self-directed life that we live, and take yourself off the throne of your heart. And you can put Jesus in that place of your life and live the Christ-centered life. These are methods that have been presented through the years that have been really helpful. They can be problematic. They've got pros. They've got cons. Some people love them. Some people don't care for them. There are others talking through the Ten Commandments, talking through law, and then shifting to talking more about grace. And, and the, everybody's got a way, a method. But I, I think all of these have great value. I think it's important to know them. I think it's important to have them in you and understand them and for sure to know the scriptures that are connected to each one. These are important things for us. to be able to share, but I want us to be cautious today about reducing the ideas and the grand narrative of the story of God down to a method. I'm uncomfortable with systemizing the gospel into just a a method, trying to reduce it down. So today what I want to ask you to do is not focus on a method, but instead to focus on the message. Don't focus on a particular method that you could gain and you just use time after time after time, but focus instead on the message and knowing the message itself. Really, if I was gonna say it more accurately, I would say it like this. Don't focus on the method, but focus on the man, the person of Jesus Christ. Because as my dad said during communion, he is the central figure. He is the centrality. Him, his work, his death, his burial, his resurrection, what he did on the cross, that is the centerpiece for everything that we talk about when we talk about the gospel story. But the truth is, the message, it never changes. It is eternal and forever it stands. It will not change. But the methods that we use will always change. Because cultures change and evolve. Because cultures of cities are different. Because cultures of people are different. Because the... Time frames that you have to be able to talk about faith with somebody are different. You might have a long time of relationship with a co-worker or a family member. Or you might have the final five minutes of a flight as you're putting your book away and the person next to you says, hey, is that a book about God? Hey, tell me about God. And you've got five minutes to throw up a prayer and say, oh, here we go. You can't necessarily rely on just a boom, boom, boom. So you need to know these laws. Ready? Ha, 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 ha. That, that may or may not be successful. It may not help. Or it may. It's good to know. But what's better is to know the person of Jesus Christ. So today, I'm going to do something e- even even a little bit against what I just said. I don't want to try to reduce it or boil it down, but I do want to give you just a general framework to work in today, all right? So let's open up our Bibles really quickly here to 2 Corinthians chapter five. 2 Corinthians chapter five. And I think today I want to just start with, let's just start in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter five. Verse 14. And what I want us to do is, I want us to just answer briefly, and there's lots of ways to answer this question, but I want us to answer briefly, just talk about the gospel and what it, what it is. Second Corinthians 5.14, it starts with, For Christ's love compels us. I love that phrase. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. That's Jesus. And therefore... All died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us, he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is a way of talking about what the gospel story is. When we talk about, we say the words gospel, we <clears throat> kind of tend to think, oh, it's Jesus and the cross. And really, that is true. That's true. It is a true statement. But don't lose sight of the larger picture. That really, when we say the gospel, what <laughs> we're really ultimately talking about is this. We're talking about the good news, that God is doing what he said he was always going to do, that God is at work in redeeming the lives of his fallen and broken creation. That because of our sin, because of our pride, and because of our arrogance, our separation from him, God is redeeming and reconciling all of creation from before the foundations of the world. He's bringing it all back together, and his kingdom has shown up in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ, and now his kingdom has come, and it is still coming, and one day will be here in its full fruition, and that is the age that we live in today. And when you say the gospel story, it is the story of God doing the thing that he said he would always do. And he's doing it through the person and the work of his son, part of himself, Jesus. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. But remember this, there is an entire story here to remember, all right? So so Nate even talked about this just a moment ago, but here's the framework that I want us to go with today, all right? So I wanna ask you from, from here, would you take out your pen, take out your notes, and just jot some of this stuff down? Not a method, but some ideas to help you as you process the man and the message. Remember that we live in the vast story of God. Romans uh, 11 is one of my favorite passages of scripture, Romans eleven thirty three, 33, because it says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For, and this is the part that I love so much, for from him and through him and to him are all things. We live in the vast story, the narrative of God. The story is not about us. And this is where immediately we all get tripped up because we want to think so badly that it is our story. We get so caught up with all the details of life right here, smacking us in the face, that we're convinced the story that we live is a story of us here on this earth and what we're called to do and what the plan is. No, it's not that way. We live within the ultimate narrative of God's story, and you get to play a part. And he is the source. This is where people get tripped up. He is the source. He is the creator. He's the one who's been around for eternity, and he will always be. So he got to set the ground rules. He's the one who decided how everything works. And if people can overcome, if you can overcome, if your friends can overcome that initial hurdle, really it becomes part of the answer to all of the difficult questions that we're gonna ask as we get into Explore God. You're not the source, He is. He got to choose, you don't. (laughs) So I want you to keep that in mind, but it doesn't mean that you don't have a part to play. He has given you a role. They call his story the greatest story ever told. Yours is the second greatest story ever told. Because your story and how it intersects with his story is an incredible thing. And let me tell you this. I think that your story is one of the greatest tools that you have to use as you present the gospel. I think it's so much better than a method, so much better than trying to click off four or five things that you've tried your best to memorize and make sense of. You talking about the grand story of God and what he's done in the midst of your story within his story, that speaks volumes to people. It is the best thing that you have. Don't, don't, Push it aside. Learn it. Know it. Think about it. Think about how you articulate it. Oh, Brent, I'm not one of those people. I, I never, I was never into drugs. I don't have a good testimony. Yes, you do. Everybody has been rescued. Every one of us who believe are rescued from sin and death and hell. You have some story. I never got messed up with a lot of stuff. I made serious mistakes in my life, but I never got too far into anything. But I had a lot of heartbreak and a lot of difficulties and a lot of issues that I had to overcome. They're part of my story today, and I'm grateful for what Jesus has done because I can share those. It's part of my story. And it highlights his goodness in what he does. So within those two grand ideas, let me, let me present to you these four things that I want you to keep in mind as the context, not as the method, but as the things that we know and think about as we talk about the man, Jesus, as we talk about the gospel story. Number one, we've already talked about it, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but we're all sinners and our sin separated us from God we 're all sinners, and our sin separated us from god so i'm going to this is what I want you to write down, and i 'm going to give you just some quick scriptures for you to write and think about and contemplate now I know again you 're saying, well, yeah, I know all these scriptures, good for you, but this room does not in fact, Pastor Ross and Amy had to go do a uh, <laughs> they had to go do an assessment and a a uh, a little bit of a a test as they were partnering with an organization that we partner with called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches. And they helped us launch one chapel two and a half or so years ago, almost three now. And uh, he had to, as part of that training, he had to sit with his wife and they had to actually uh, share the gospel with somebody in a room in front of a group of pastors to know if they could actually do that. Uh, Isn't that an interesting thing? And of course, it, they were actual pastors who they were sharing with. It wasn't like they went out on the street and clubbed somebody over the head and said, hey, get in here and change with the chair and said, now listen. Uh, but, but they would sit and listen. And what the ark says is, is that they are surprised by the high percentage, the high percentage of pastors who walk into that scenario and are unable to clearly articulate the gospel message to somebody else. We don't want that to be us, which is why we're investing this coaching time today. The first thing is to realize within the story of God and your story intersecting with his, all of us are sinners and our sins separate us from God. Romans 3.23, which we already read. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 says, But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because it says you don't have to get clean. You don't have to fix everything. You don't have to have your life fully together. But Jesus Christ died for you when you were still a wreck. And he died on the chance, because you'd get to choose. He died on the chance that you would say yes to him. That is a vast and incredible love. Isaiah 53, uh, and centering around verse 5 and all surrounding that. I'm not going to take the time to read that, but if you write that down, I encourage you to write down the Message Bible. Look it up and read it in the Message Bible, because it is incredible the way that it articulates uh, that passage. But it talks about how through his stripes and the beatings that he took, he took those on his back so we don't have to take it. He paid the price. He paid the penalty for all of our sins which leads us into kind of the second big idea for not our method, but our message, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. The great love of God for all of us. And you can't go far in talking about the gospel at all without talking about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, saying that it's by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It's the free gift of God, not by our works, so that nobody can boast. You can't say, I did this. You can't say, I earned this. You can't say, I'm a good enough person to go to heaven. In fact, Scripture makes it pretty plain that we can't even come to Jesus unless the Father first draws us. We're unable to even approach without His grace and His help. And then beyond that, we need his grace to continue on, to serve him, to love him, to do all the things that he's called us to do. And it's a free gift. You are not good enough. You are not strong enough. And doggone it, people do not like you well enough. (laughs) Half the room understood that reference. The other half, you don't need to. You can't do it on your own. All of this is by the free grace of God giving us what we do not deserve. John 14.6 is where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the only way to come to God. And through his death and his burial and then his resurrection to save us and to pay the penalty for all of our sins. He's the one who did it. He stood in our place. He took our sins. Read that through the Gospels, 2 Corinthians five fourteen. One died for all, and so all died. We've talked about that. That's the second big idea. The third is... That once you believe that, and by the way, that's where you're going to come into conflict, everybody. That's where the rubber's going to hit the road. And once again, people are going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Aren't there multiple ways? Can't you do this? Yeah, but can't I be good enough? Meh, I'm a good guy. I'm not mean. I treat my wife good. I treat my kids good. I've done good good things. I take care of poor people. I, I do things. I, I no, it's through Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And that's a challenge for people. And it'll be a good part of your conversation. Third, repent and believe. Once you get to that moment then, there's a moment of repentance where you repent and believe. In Acts chapter two, and specifically in verse 38, Peter has just stood up on the day of Pentecost and he's preached this incredible sermon about Jesus and the work that he's done. And people are listening and they're cut to the heart, the Bible says, and they say back to Peter, what should we do? We hear you, so what should we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized and fills the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized. Now, I've had a lot of opportunity to talk about this with a lot of teenagers and a lot of adults through the years of being a pastor. And I ask people, so what do you think repent means? And the most common thing that I get back is, oh, you know, it means to ask God to forgive me. Oh, you know, it's when you're sad. Oh, it means that you're really sorry about the things that you did. And I think that, yes, that is part of the answer. That, that can be true. But that's not nearly enough. We sometimes want to reduce repentance down to this one idea that becomes kind of a, a just a spiritual experience that you have in the middle of a prayer. It's kind of a sad moment where you say, oh, Jesus, I repent of my sin. That's not what it is. It's not a sad religious experience. That's not repentance. Repentance is a practical decision that you make with the grace of God. Repentance is the choice to say, I've been going this direction I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm going to turn my life around, and I am choosing, with the help of God who I believe in, to walk this other direction and follow him. This is what repentance is. Repentance is the, the turning away from the old life that we lived. And the turning, it's not just there, it doesn't stop there, but it continues into the turning into following the Lord Jesus for the rest of your days. Turning away from and turning into. Don't allow it to become the moment of the prayer that you pray with somebody. Now you need to repent of your sin. Go ahead. Oh, Jesus, I repent. Good for you. You did it. Welcome to the family of God. It's all easy from here. No, it's not. That's the moment where you make the decision. I'm not going to do that. I'm going this way. And after that, then you start to believe. And now comes the fourth and final, and and really the difficult thing that a lot of times we've missed. We don't tell people about. We don't talk about it. Why? Because we feel the pressure. We want to seal the deal. I had this spiritual conversation. I want them to know Jesus. So what am I going to do? i got to make it sound like it's really great. So pray. Pray this prayer with me, and then what's going to happen? You're going to have the greatest life you could ever know here on the earth, and you'll get to live forever in heaven with Jesus. It's going to be puppy dogs and rainbows, and everything's going to be Fantastic! There's a pot of gold waiting for you at the end. It's not true. The thing that we don't often tell people is at the end of this, or really I should say at the beginning, is to surrender and follow. Is to surrender. Okay. To surrender and follow. Luke 9:23. Jesus said. He said, if you're going to come after me, then you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross daily. How often? Daily. Oh, You mean Sunday through Saturday? Yeah, daily. Every day. Take up your cross and follow me. We can't just promise puppy dogs and rainbows that life is going to be fantastic. Jesus said, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to deny your own selfish desires. You're going to have to give up a lot of stuff that you think you want or need or you should have. You're going to have to take up your cross, your instrument of torture and death, and you're going to have to follow me. You have to go where I say to go. That's the life that you're choosing. But in the midst of it, and if you'll do it, and you'll receive my grace to help you do it, then you'll experience my resurrection life. So even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, there is life in the middle of it. And that life is for us today. Life to the full. Life today in the world that we live in and eternal life in the future. What a cool promise. But we don't often highlight that for everybody. See, re- remember this. We've said it here before, but remember this as we close. And Bob, if you want to come up, we'll close here. Uh, remember this. Jesus didn't come for behavior modification. He came for takeover. He he did. I mean, it sounds brutal, it sounds rough, but it is true. He came to have all of us. He came to give us his all and to take all, to be Lord, to be Savior. And not just of us as a person, but to be Lord of (laughs) all to reconcile all things to himself to make all the brokenness right that's what he's doing we get to say yes so from that context then uh, what I ask you and challenge you to do and I had a a whole bunch of other real pragmatic things that I I wanted to say today and I didn't Uh, I've got like four things I wanted to highlight for you and I'm not going to do it but I'm going to email them to you today or tomorrow, or I'm going to send them an email. I'll send scriptures to you just that we talked about so you can just not learn the methods because I, I didn't try to present you with a method. I wanted to present you just with the message once again so you, you can think about and immerse yourself in it. Think about it in the context of your story and maybe it will be helpful to you practically speaking as you look at having conversations and you share the gospel truth with someone that's in your sphere. My hope and my prayer is that it'll be helpful to you. That's really my job as as a pastor, just to try to help, try to equip you to be able to do what God's called you to do. So if you would, just take a moment and, and just bow your heads for a minute. Contemplate and think about your own story, his story in your story. I should say it the other way, your story within his And it would be a shame to walk through all of those scriptures and all those ideas without giving all of us the opportunity once again to respond. To take a look at ourselves and look inside and say, wow, am I really living within that story? Is there a second greatest story to my life? Because I... I've encountered Jesus and his story. Some of us today may not have realized the gravity of that story and that he did come. God sent his only son to earth to die on a cross to pay for the sins that we've all committed. We fall short of his glory. We don't deserve it, but he gave part of himself, his son Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus came, and he lived, and he performed miracles, and he taught, but then he died on a cross to pay our debts. He died so we don't have to die. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. He sent his spirit to help us live and be strong. And this is where we are today. Maybe you didn't realize that. You didn't know there was a God who loved you that much. And today you'd like to know more about him. You'd like to say yes to him. Or maybe you do know him. But you realize today, man, I gave up. I kind of stopped. I kind of quit. I kind of walked away. I just kind of forgot how incredible this gospel story is. And I need to say yes again. Or maybe you've been thinking, hey, it's all puppy dogs and rainbows. But it's not. Where are the puppy dogs and rainbows in my life? This just feels hard. See yes to the work of Jesus in you once again and say, I'm going to follow him regardless. If that describes you in any way or shape or form with every head bowed and with eyes closed, just just so that you could have a moment and not be nervous and think about anybody else. If that's you and you'd like to make a commitment to Jesus, would you just lift your hand up so that I can pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. Right on, right on. Who else? Great. Who else? Who else? Yeah, oh, awesome. Who else? Oh, this is the best. Who else? This is the greatest thing. Who else? Yeah, cool, okay. Who else? Thank God for this. Who else? Anybody else? Your heart might be pounding. You might be saying, oh, I don't know. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Just don't say, don't say no. Just say yes. One last time. Oh, great, 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 great. Yeah, cool. Okay. <sighs> so what I'd like for us to do then. I want us all just to, with our eyes closed, just say this prayer and There's nothing great or magical about it. It's just sometimes we don't exactly have the language. And so I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer. And I want us all to say it together. And I want you to pray it from your gut. If you raise your hand, I just want you to really gut level honest with Jesus. I want you to mean this. But everybody in the room say, Dear Jesus, forgive me. I choose today to believe in you. To believe in who you are. You've done what you say you've done. That you died on a cross. That they put you in a tomb. But you rose again. And you paid my debt. You died for me. So I don't have to die. You paid for my sin. Thank you. Now today, I repent. I walk away from my old life and I walk into your new life. Be my Lord and my Savior in Jesus' name.